hello 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 this is monica and this is remembering the misremembered and in this episode we are going to be remembering a lady who uh doesn't get as much attention as she should and is not remembered um never really talked about. Uh, She was an internationally renowned jazz pianist, singer, and best-selling recording artist who headlined New York's first integrated nightclub, Cafe Society, earning her the nickname The Darling of Cafe Society. Uh, She soloed at Carnegie Hall. She was featured in five Hollywood films, Broadway Rhythm, The Heat's On, Rhapsody in Blue, Something to Shout About, and I doed it. Yet today, um, some 40 plus years after her passing, if you mention the name Hazel Scott, too few people recognize that name, but that's who we're talking about today, Miss Hazel Scott. Now, Hazel Scott was beautiful and multi-talented. She could play piano like I have never seen anybody play it before. Um, there's a scene in the film that heats on called The White Keys and the Black Keys showing Scott playing two pianos at the same time. Um, she led a trio that featured drummer Max Roach and bassist Charlie Mingus. She was one of the world's highest paid entertainers. She counted among her personal friends famous musicians like Duke Ellington, Dizzy Gillespie, Lester Young, Fats Waller, Art Tatum, and Lena Horne and Frank Sinatra was a fan. She famously married the first black congressman from the East Coast, Adam Clayton Powell Jr., becoming one half of the most celebrated black couple of their time. Hazel Scott had her own television show decades before Oprah, before Oprah was even born. Then, without warning, Hazel Scott left the spotlight. So what happened to her? Hazel Dorothy Scott was born in Port of Spain, Trinidad and Tobago on June 11, 1920. Her mother, Alma Long Scott, was a restaurateur and a classically trained pianist and music teacher who taught herself to play trumpet and by 1933 fronted an all-female band. Her father, R. Thomas Scott, was a West African scholar from Liverpool. Hazel was their only child and she started playing piano by ear at the age of three. She audibly yelped when she heard her mother's students hit a wrong note. She was four when she left Trinidad for Harlem, New York City, where she would live with her mother and grandmother following her parents' separation. Alma was the single biggest influence in her daughter's life, and their home served as a place where artists of all kinds, particularly musicians, could come together during Harlem's Renaissance period. Alma had all kinds of musical connections, and she took charge of molding Hazel's natural musical acumen. Juilliard's musical school program didn't normally accept students who were younger than 16, but eight-year-old Hazel auditioned to study at this most prestigious school with Rachmaninoff's Prelude in C-sharp minor. An exception was made because this child prodigy was truly exceptional. Soon, Hazel was studying privately under the expert tutelage of Paul Wagner. When she was 13, Hazel became a part of her mother's jazz band. Alma Long Scott's American Creolians 
She made her solo debut with Count Basie's big band at New York City's Roseland Ballroom. She hosted her own radio show on WOR and also made her debut, her Broadway debut in 1938 in a musical review called Sing Out the News. And she would later appear on Broadway in 1942's Priorities of 1942. With all of this going on, Hazel also managed to end her high school career with honors. Billie Holiday had to end her standing engagement at Cafe Society three weeks early. She insisted to the club's owner, former shoe salesman, Barney Josephson, that 19-year-old Hazel Scott be given the opportunity to complete the, the engagement. Fortunately, Josephson agreed with Billy. This opportunity was huge because Cafe Society was New York City's major jazz hotspot and its first fully integrated nightclub. She performed at both the downtown and uptown branches of the club. From 1939 until 1943, Hazel was the club's headliner and was nicknamed the darling of cafe society. Hazel Scott had a knack for jazzing up classic tunes, swinging the classics, and audiences ate it up. She recorded Bach to Boogie tunes for Signature Records and Decca Records, and these recordings were top sellers. Hazel's talent on the ivories was truly astonishing. Other musicians jazzed up or modernized classic songs, but Hazel Scott possessed a unique combination of natural talent, classical training, and jazz chops. She skillfully made Bach, Chopin, and Rachmaninoff swing, effortlessly shifting from jazz to classical to blues and back again. She possessed a beautiful contralto singing voice that was top-notch too. It was warm yet powerful and shone even without a microphone. By the 1940s, Hazel Scott became a household name. She performed at Carnegie Hall twice. She toured extensively in the United States and Europe. She refused to do segregated concerts. There was a stipulation in her contracts that if she showed up at a venue and found that it was segregated, she would not perform, but she still got paid. And she was very well paid, making $75,000 per year, the equivalent of a million a year today. She was quoted as saying, why would anyone come to hear me a Negro and refused to sit beside someone just like me. Soon, Hollywood came calling. She was offered four film roles and turned them all down. Hazel Scott stood for something and she was not going to play Mammies and Maids. And that's not to come down on Hattie McDaniel and those actresses who did because those roles were necessary. The fact that so many black women were playing maids really made Hazel feel that she didn't need to. That role was already oversaturated and performers like Hazel and Lena Horne both wanted to show black women doing other things. Hazel possessed beauty, class, and elegance, and she was extremely versatile. Barney Josephson helped Hazel to negotiate her $4,000 per week salary, which is about $60,000 in today's money, and a pretty far cry from Hattie McDaniel's $700 a week. I mentioned the five films that Hazel appeared in. She was in three films in 1943, Something to Shout About, I Dude It with Lena Horne, and The Heat's On. In 1944, she appeared in Broadway Rhythm, and in 1945, she was in Rhapsody in Blue. Hazel ran into some trouble on the set of The Heat's On. There was a scene where Hazel was to perform The Casings Go Rolling Along with black soldiers singing to their loved ones and then breaking into choreography. Hazel 
was mortified when she heard the choreographer telling the costume designer to put oil and dirt on the aprons that the black women in the scene were supposed to wear because they were too clean. Hazel wasn't having it. She insisted that she would not appear in any scene where dirty aproned black women are sending their men off to war. She went on strike, causing production to come to a screeching halt. This cost Columbia Pictures thousands of dollars. It was finally decided that the women could wear their own clean clothes. Hazel Scott was always cast as Miss Hazel Scott, and she always provided her own wardrobe and her own jewelry. But this incident rubbed the heads of the studio the wrong way, and they promised that she would never set foot in another movie studio, though she did make a couple more films. But this is a perfect example of her standing up for her beliefs, whether people liked it or not. As far as her personal life, Hazel fell in love with Adam Clayton Powell Jr., who served as pastor of Abyssinian Baptist Church. He also became the first black man elected to New York's city council. Powell was charismatic and popular. He was also married. Hazel and Adam did little to nothing to hide their relationship, and he brought Hazel Scott to his congressional inauguration instead of his wife, which was quite scandalous. Hazel Scott and Adam Clayton Powell Jr. were married in a splashy wedding ceremony in 1945, just 11 days after he secured his divorce. It was actually the wedding of the year, at least for black society. Everybody who was anybody in the world of art, music, and politics was in attendance, and Life magazine documented the reception. 2,000 people came together to have a look at this momentous occasion. With their glamour and elegance, the activist-minded Powells became the power couple of Black America. After the marriage, Hazel ended her association with Cafe Society because her husband didn't think it appropriate for a pastor's wife to work in a nightclub. Hazel gave birth to the couple's only child, a son named Adam Clayton Powell III, a year after the wedding. After the baby was born, Hazel got herself into shape and started recording and touring again. In 1949, while she was in Washington State touring, she went with her assistant to get something to eat. Predictably, the restaurant refused to serve them because they were black. Hazel didn't just leave. She pulled a Josephine Baker, suing and winning $250 in her case. She donated the money to the NAACP. She didn't just protest. She protested and fought back loudly. Of course, this would not be the last time that something like this would happen, but her victory in the courtroom showed a teensy bit of progress. She also refused to perform for the president at the National Press Club because they excluded black journalists. Hazel Scott became the first black person to host her own musical variety show. The 15-minute show debuted in the spring of 1950 on the Dumont Network and featured Hazel Scott playing piano amidst a gorgeous studio backdrop. It was broadcast nationally three days a week. The show received excellent reviews and looked as if it was going to be a huge success. But just a month after the show debuted, Hazel Scott was angered to learn that her name was in Red Channels, a publication that targeted celebrities of all races, believed to have communist, communist leanings and or associations. This was a time when people were pressured to name names and rat out their friends and associates. Hazel Scott was not communist affiliated, 
and she voluntarily testified before the House Un-American Activities Committee, HUAC, and let them know exactly that. She thought that telling the truth would save her reputation, but it did not. She testified against the advice of her congressman husband, but just being accused of communism tainted her and caused her show to lose valuable advertising. The show was quickly canceled and Hazel Scott's career was all but over. The 30-year-old went back on tour, but it was very difficult for her to find work. Her marriage to a husband who had never quit womanizing began to break down. He admitted later to being jealous of his wife's professional successes. They were divorced in 1960. Hazel herself had a nervous breakdown. She moved to Paris with her son. On January 19, 1961, Hazel married a comedian named Exio Beaton. As the 1960s rolled along, the music Hazel Scott was known for began to fall out of favor. Rock and roll and soul were the new thing. Although she faced less prejudice in Paris, she struggled in her adopted homeland. But she made something of a comeback, appearing in some French films and living the life of a black expatriate. She returned to America in 1967, shortly after divorcing her second husband, and met with some criticism for leaving America just as the civil rights movement reached a crescendo. In late 1968, Hazel Scott, who had been Catholic for most of her life, joined the Baha'i faith, which was introduced to her by Dizzy Gillespie, who officially joined the faith early that same year. She made appearances on some TV shows like Julia and the daytime soap One Life to Live. She played piano at the Cannes Film Festival, worked nightclubs, and appeared on the Queen Mary. Just as she was about to begin a long-term engagement at a club that was named after her, Hazel Scott passed away from pancreatic cancer. The year was 1981, and Hazel was 61 years old. Hazel Scott was a great musical talent, a great beauty, a great civil rights activist, and a great woman. She made huge strides opening doors for black women in music, in movies, in television, and on stage. She was very talented and very courageous. Like Josephine Baker, Eartha Kitt, Lena Horne, and Hattie McDaniel, she deserves to be remembered. Anyway, I'm Monica. This is Remembering the Misremembered, and I will see you soon with more stories.